Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Hey, welcome back uh, into the final half hour of today's episode. In just a moment, we'll be joined by Dr. Todd Vento, uh, the infectious or a infectious disease physician with Intermountain Healthcare. We're going to be talking about uh, COVID symptoms. I know that's a topic that goes all the way back to the beginning of this COVID era, but it's funny. I need to keep reminding myself that there is still a, a virus that is transmissible and that, yes, we are all uh, getting the vaccine as soon as we're able. But, uh, you know, you, you could you could still catch and transmit this disease. Uh, and so we're going to get a quick refresher on uh, what the symptoms are and how they may compare to other uh, things that are rearing their head this time of year, namely allergies. We'll get to that in just a second. But let me uh, just share again the, that brief story that we, we covered just a moment ago, Kira broke in uh, with that uh, fascinating breaking news. Here's the deal. Uh, Utah Jazz charter a plane. They are uh, set to take off and fly to Memphis, Tennessee, where they tomorrow night uh, are scheduled to take on the, the Memphis Grizzlies. And that flight, uh, not long after takeoff, bam, bird strike. And uh, they are turned around, and they land, and uh, and there you have it. And everyone is okay, again, except for the bird, as I pointed out uh, in the story. There is one victim, and the Utah Jazz are fine. They're healthy, uh, and there have been some accounts coming in throughout the morning uh, of this story. But it was like we had all this circumstantial evidence. We <laughs> we heard an account of uh, there were some very tall gentlemen deplaning. Uh, they look to be uh, uh, <laughs> of basketball build. And uh, <laughs> we we now, though, uh, can confirm that it was, in fact, a chartered plane carrying the Utah Jazz to Memphis, Tennessee, to take on the Grizzlies that struck a bird. Uh, and the plane was uh, plenty able to turn around, come back, and land uh, safely, all involved. Uh, safe, again, except for that, uh, uh, the poor bird casualty. Uh, as, as players start talking out... Uh, you, We'll bring that to you, certainly. Uh, we'll keep an eye on Twitter, and uh, we'll keep an eye out for statements. We've got uh, calls out to the organization and, and to players, and we'll bring you all those details as they come in. Uh, you know, we can we can you know chuckle and laugh about this right now, but the truth is uh, there was a moment where uh, the, the integrity of that airplane uh, was probably uncertain to, uh, to at least its passengers. You know, the pilots deal with bird strikes quite often, uh, but, uh, you know, when, when you've got, something colliding with your aircraft uh, and if you can feel or hear that and you are inexperienced you may you, you may you may feel a little bit nervous uh, and that may have been the case for players we'll, we'll get their accounts as soon as they are able and bring them to you here on KSL News 
Radio. Okay, uh, as I mentioned, we have on the line Dr. Todd Vento, infectious disease physician with Intermountain Healthcare, joining us now. Uh, doctor, welcome back to the program. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Happy to know the Jazz made it back here safely and that uh, uh, they likely will find their way to, to Memphis by tomorrow night to take on and defeat, of course, I believe, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, we're talking about the symptoms of COVID. This is a, a topic which has been, you know, discussed, you and I have discussed it, and has been, uh, you know, of on the minds of all of us since the very beginning of, of this uh, pandemic. But I want to talk to you and just get uh, kind of caught up and get a refresher on what we should be looking for still today. Uh, nationwide, last estimate I saw was about 15% of the population has received, uh, you know, sufficient dose of the vaccine to be immunized and or at least to, to be resistant to serious side effects uh, from the virus. Are, are, are the symptoms still the same that we were experiencing early on in, the, in this virus? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, um, even though there's, you know, the, the, I guess the bad news of having the mutations and the variants, the reality is even those variant strains, those seem to also present with the similar symptoms that we were used to early in the COVID pandemic. And what we've also learned is <clears throat> if you think back to, even last March, last February, when we first thought that maybe it only spread, that, that people would be symptomatic and that we would know that they had it because they were symptomatic. We now know that a lot more people can have no symptoms, but the symptoms when they do show up about usually about five days after illness, but anywhere from two to 14 days uh, after you've actually been exposed to the virus, um, those are still very similar in terms of you might think you have a cold, might have flu-like symptoms, but certainly more likely to have things like muscle aches, possibly fever, headache, and then later in the illness, the concern would be some shortness of breath or cough, worsening cough. I I remember early in the, you know, when we were start starting to figure this out and starting to come to an understanding of the severity, there was, uh, and this is probably an understatement, an abundance of caution. Uh, you know, everyone with half a sniffly nose was quarantining and, and isolating. Are, are, are we still at that level? Should we should we be uh, treating this uh, that seriously still, or those symptoms? It's a great question, and also, you know, to the point where we're trying to figure out, well, well, if it's runny nose or congestion, maybe is that more likely allergies, less likely allergies, that kind of thing. Some of that's uh, still difficult. Uh, in terms of the abundance of caution piece, the one thing I would say is a lot of symptoms are, are difficult to discern between, say, allergies and COVID, but certainly if you get fever or chills or muscle aches or certainly, certainly short of breath, shortness of breath, I would consider that to be uh, COVID. Um, but I think the, the good thing is that if folks have, are getting vaccinated, then the risk of COVID goes down significantly, not just for symptomatic and severe and hospitalized COVID cases, but now what we're showing is even upwards of 90% decreasing actual infection risk. So your likelihood of COVID will go down significantly if you are vaccinated. Therefore, your symptoms can maybe be interpreted a little bit more easily to say maybe that's more likely allergies. But again, you still have to, it depends. If, if you had some symptoms that you thought were allergies, but you also just interacted with someone with no mask and neither of you was vaccinated and that person had COVID, well, now you have to think about both of those things, right? Yeah. Uh, is, is testing still important? Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think the, the things that saved us this year were we did so many people using masks, social distancing, uh, not gathering. 
um, in large groups that we had such flu, our flu cases were so low, like historically low, as were our other respiratory viruses. So that's good. We don't have to worry about those because we're still in the end of technically flu season uh, for annual flu season. So we don't have to worry about that as much. And now when people start having springtime allergies, um, the nice thing is a lot of those people are getting vaccinated. So you can start to look at things saying, okay, now I feel better about saying this isn't COVID like just what you were getting at last year. Like, I don't know, somebody sneezing next to me in yeah. March of 2020, like that's COVID, get away. Yeah. And, and obviously we have a little bit more um, information that we can use to try to make those decisions, but we can't say ignore things as not being COVID uh, based on symptoms. And the last thing I'll say is we learned a lot about COVID causing decreased taste and smell, but some people who have bad allergy can also have decreased taste and smell as well. So that's a little more difficult to d- differentiate. Uh, we've got about 60 seconds left. Uh, let me ask you a, a personal question. In, in your career, uh, I, I imagine that nothing uh, has even compared to the last uh, 12, 13 months. Uh, wh- wh- what, has been your, what has been your most surprising observation over this past year? Um, I actually was a pandemic planner for the Department of Defense and spent six months in Liberia during Ebola, and that was felt very similar uh, to that in the beginning phase of Ebola. The difference here is, uh, honestly, the amount of misinformation and disinformation that has to be overcome or has had to been overcome, which uh, makes our jobs much harder as public health officers and trying to really get good information out to the public. And so I appreciate these opportunities and your efforts uh, and your staff's efforts to try to set the record straight and give good clinical information, because honestly, we now know so much about this virus, both scientifically, diagnostically, how to treat it. We have great therapies. We have a wonderful vaccine, several of them. And yet I'm surprised that we still have to convince people that a mask stops this virus from spreading or that the vaccine actually works. And that's where we have to work hard on uh, pushing on that front, I think, a lot more uh, robustly to help get more people vaccinated and have people continue to do the measures that work. Dr. Vento, thank you so much. Again, infectious disease physician with Intermountain Healthcare, Dr. Todd Vento, my guest. Uh, thank you for your information. Thank you. Have a good day. All right, you too. Uh, we'll, we'll take a break right now, and in the final segment of the day, we're going to jump into this debate. Uh, should Washington, D.C. be a state? I, I, I know, I know, you've heard the song before. Yeah, because it's sung every year. The debate comes up in Washington, D.C. every year, and every year we think that this is the year where something's going to happen. What about this year? Good idea? Bad idea? We'll get into all of that next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.